Hi, and welcome once again to AlderPod. This is Chapter 11 of The Alder's Gate, Dalliance. Libby's arm was still across Sylvan's chest when he woke up, and she was snoring lightly, her red hair splayed across the pillows like streaks of blood on snow. The sheets they had been intertwined with just a few hours ago were nowhere to be seen, and both were naked as babes atop the large bed in Sylvan's quarters. Sylvan couldn't quite remember the logistics of how he'd managed to get back here with Libby, but he suspected it had something to do with his celebrated arrival back at Hartley Castle and the three bottles of red wine he'd nicked from the gala event last evening. He slid from the bed and stumbled in the blue morning light, and then rummaged in his trousers. There, his last few cigs. They didn't look too crumpled, and certainly well within smoking standards. The cinders in the hearth were just warm enough to still kindle the cig, and after a little encouragement, Sylvan took a seat on the dark ochre jacquard chair, crossed one leg over the other, and enjoyed his cig in the quiet morning. It's such an unattractive habit. Libby turned on the bed, exhaling a long breath, and then sat up, looking around. She had her fair share of the wine, too, Sylvan recalled, outpacing him at first. She winced, the lines on her face echoing Sylvan's suspicion. Sir Labella Fenley, as beautiful and as wicked as she was, was never much good with wine. At least, not the next day. It's a delicious habit, Sylvan countered, inhaling long. He exhaled the smoke slowly, luxuriously, reveling in the color and smoothness of it. Makes you taste like the bottom of a hearth, she said, waving away the smoke as it twisted its way toward her. What time is it? Sylvan craned his neck toward the window. It was open just a crack, and he could see the sun peeking just above the base of the east tower. Must be a tick or so around six, six-thirty, not quite sure. My timepiece is somewhere. Don't you have an appointment with the queen? asked Libby. She got off of the bed and walked casually toward the chair where the majority of her uniform remained. Picking up her chemise, she dusted it momentarily before slipping it on. It fell past her waist, but didn't quite cover her all the way. In a bit. I've got time, he insisted. We've a drill first, you know. I expect you to be there, she said, as Sylvan watched her. He was, most noticeably, still without cover of any sort, but was far from concerned about it. There were plenty of complicated and awkward issues between he and Libby, but nakedness was not one of them. "'Yes, yes, of course, Sir Le Bell,' Sylvan said, not without a good heap of sarcasm. Libby sighed and shook her head as if she could will him away that easily. "'What do you think your brother is up to now?' asked Sylvan, recognizing that the question was quite out of the blue, but not particularly caring. It was a sore subject, to say the least.' The truth was that the famed Gowan of Fenley had been on his mind of late, what with his warrant for arrest and all. Seeing that Sylvan would likely be far from Gowan as, as imaginable in the next few weeks, the question did not seem that odd to him. To Libby, that was another issue altogether. She frowned, hastily braiding her hair after a few attempts to tame it with her fingers. And why in the moons do you care a rag about Gowan? Because I'm curious. And I just made it with his sister— "'Wish I could tell him that.' "'He laughed, but stopped abruptly "'when Libby swatted him across the head hard. "'Libby and her brother Gowan had not spoken "'for at least five years by Sylvan's reckoning. "'He'd last seen the two of them together, "'screaming curses and swears that even made him uncomfortable "'at a festival celebrating Ellen's engagement to Richard two years before he'd been run out of the castle. "'He had not helped the altercation at all,' "'he dimly recalled, "'by threatening Gowan at some point or other.' 
As a rule, he simply loathed the man. But Gowan was the only man that had ever bested Sylvan in a fight. It had been a fist fight, true, and Gowan likely did outweigh him by half, yes. Sylvan had finished the evening curled up in a ball, however, with three broken ribs and a cracked nose, and, as far as he could tell, having done nothing to mend the ties between brother and sister. Tying the laces of her jerkin with sharp, precise movements, Libby shook her head. Feck all if I know, she said, or care. He deserves what come to him, I say. Sylvan grinned. When Libby was angry, she always went a little more Moorish, what with her I says and feck alls. It was immensely endearing. What are you laughing at? She snapped. Nothing, nothing, Libby dear, he said, just thinking. Well, best get done with that soon, right? Drills, like I said. One turn, that's all you've got. And I want you there and ready, you wreck. With Malvin gone, our men are looking for leadership, so you best behave. Examining the end of his cig, which was already close to snuffing itself out, he sighed. Ah, well, in that case, I ought to be late. The last thing I want people looking for me is for leadership. Sylvan took his time, taking special care to fasten every button on his uniform, to polish the brass on his buckles, and comb his hair. He tied it back, as it was getting a little long, with a bit of red ribbon, the perfect hue to match the red piping on his trousers. His room faced inward on the castle, high above the courtyard, and behind that, the sparring field. The rows did their drills there, and he could already see them lining up, shoulders square and chins up. And there was Libby, walking along their ranks, checking uniforms and weapons, saying little. The power of her presence was remarkable. As it was, she was the only woman in the Order of the Rose, and that accounted for some two thousand or so knights. With Malvin out of the picture, their retinue, however, the second highest retinue among the Rose, she took the responsibility squarely on her shoulders. Opening the window to let a little light and air in, Sylvan's attention was swayed, however, by the shadow of the White Wave, the Order of the Oak's largest airship. It cast the whole castle in, in the dark for a moment, before letting out a long, steamy hiss and progressing south to the landing docks on the other side of Hartley Castle. Now, this was curious. News soon spread of the Oak's arrival, and with it, Sylvan learned some of the details— there had been a further uprising in the territories after the queen had declared, with the approval of the Aldermoot, to take all the Alder-class girls to the castle for, as she described it, safety and surety. Sylvan knew that simply meant she wanted them under her eye, as she didn't trust the eye of their own parents. And it was certainly within her rights to be concerned. There were just under two hundred girls arriving in the castle today, all of them under the age of twenty, the first of two groups— all in all, the girls scarcely counted for two hundred and seventy souls, a quarter of whom were too young even to consider being married off yet, not to mention that a few were lost along the way. That, at least, could be in no way ascribed to the failure of the Order of the Rose. As per usual, the Oak had, under the leadership of the two most arrogant men Sylvan had ever known, and that was saying something, proved beyond a shadow of a doubt that they were unfit for any sort of classified business. Sylvan couldn't imagine for the life of him why Maylis trusted the Oak so much— but now, with the dissolution of most of the asp, the heart on every corner of the continent, and they alder their typical useless selves, well, Sylvan reckoned she simply had to get used to it. So it was with curiosity that Sylvan decided to skip out on the drills altogether and seek out his aunt, should she allow herself to be found. With the girls arriving on force, she was likely putting herself up in her chambers to make that grand first impression. Should she be able to impress upon them, a bit like a duck to her duckling, Sylvan thought, they would worship the ground she walked on especially those poor territories girls who'd seen their own families. Well, that was an uncomfortable thought, Sylvan decided. It was better to think of happier things. Perhaps Ellen would be there, 
Perhaps she wouldn't be so angry at him and would in fact allow a little in the way of conversation. It wasn't as if he was going to be heartily long, not with Malus's plans for him. He'd made it all the way down to the second landing, three gates from the tower where Malus's dressing rooms were, when he ran into a group of roses, none of whom he recognized. Three years was a long time, he realized, enough time for whelplings to grow into men and some of the older knights to die altogether. He hadn't seen Sir Gravely at all since his return, and wondered if the old daughter had managed another winter. These three rose guard were talking in low voices, the tallest of whom was whispering rather harshly to the other two. He was spindly and spoke with authority, his long brown hair tied neatly behind his head and falling halfway down his neck. His face was handsome by even the strictest standards, likely one that Malus had hand-picked for his looks more than his prowess. Regardless, the other two knights, an older than the tall, one older than the tall fellow who was likely just over twenty, and another who was squinty and green as a sapling, exchanged uncomfortable looks. Immediately was all that Sylvan caught before the tall knight turned around, raising dark eyebrows in his direction. "'If it isn't the famed Sir Sylvan de Loire,' he said, "'we will hood rumours of your return, but you've been elusive, as they say.' "'We greet you,' the other knight said. He had light brown hair, close-cropped and curly, and bore a scar down the middle of his cleft chin. Though his eyes were deep-set, they gave him a somewhat intense look, not a stupid look as Sylvan had seen in some recruits. At least he seemed to have some decorum. "'I greet you all,' Sylvan said, bowing with his hand to his chest. He was glad he'd taken the extra time to dress. He felt he must make a good impression. "'It's a beautiful morning. Looks like the forecast is acorns.' "'Acorns?' asked the young, squinty knight. "'It's a reference to the oak,' said the tall knight. "'Oh.' "'I'm sorry,' Sylvan said with a light chuckle, a disarming chuckle. He could cut the tall knight's tension with a blade. "'But I don't believe we had the occasion to make proper introductions, though you seem to know me. I'm afraid I feel all that much more awkward.' The curly-haired gentleman knight smiled slightly, and Sylvan thought he caught a bit of relief in his eyes. "'Sir de Boris,' he said. "'Ah, another bastard,' thought Sylvan. That was to his immediate advantage. "'And this is Sir Velen,' Boris said, indicating the tall, sulky one. "'And Sir Falstry. He's just taken his colours last week.' "'Excellent,' said Sylvan. "'Another Falstry boy, then. I had the pleasure of serving along with both Landon and Calvander those few years back. Good stock, good stock.' "'Thank you, sir.' So Fustry said, a sheepish smile on his lips. Yes, he did bear a resemblance to the other Fulstries, but not nearly as hardy-looking. Landon had been a brute of a man before he'd been killed in a skirmish some miles from the eastern border. De Boris was still smiling, and he took what looked like a relieved step forward. We've just received instructions from Captain Dantain that we were to convene in the hot, in hot hall this evening on account of the arrival of the girls. The Queen is sparing no trouble to ensure their absolute safety, and with simply relaying the instructions to Sir Velen and Sir Falstry here, I was on my way to the sparring field to inform uh, Sir Lebel's retinue as well. Well, yes, excellent. That's precisely where I'm headed as well. Right before a meeting, I'm to attend with the Queen, said Sylvan, shrugging off any potential awkwardness. Shall I join you? Most welcome, sir, said De Boris. I'll take my leave of you both. Do inform the rest of our retinue. De Boris clicked his heels together and nodded. "'Ah, well,' thought Sylvan, "'a slight detour, but I suppose catching up with the local gossip among the rows would be worth my while. It has been a long while.'"
At first, Boris was quiet, all business. He walked surprisingly fast, even for a night about his business, and Sylvan lamented the rush of it all. Had he ever been that serious? Certainly he'd always been good at nighting. It just came natural. But Boris moved with the calculation that is learned over long periods of time. He must have had to work very hard to get where he was. But then again, reason Sylvan, not every bastard was lucky enough to be born the favorite brother to the favorite brother of the queen. Which reminded him, he ought to look up some of his uncles before he left the castle altogether. Venturing conversation and with the intuition that his initial observation was right, Sylvan said, just as the two knights entered the final breezeway between the main level and the courtyard, Velen seems a bit of a prig, does he not? Deboris tried to keep his face composed, but smirked all the same. Ah, uh, <clears throat> well, I... Oh, come now. He certainly got some sort of superiority complex going on about him. Anyone can see that. And for a night of what? No more than three years. I bet he has, was beardless before I left, said Sylvan. He's... <clears throat> well, he, he's got some entitlement issues, Deboris said reluctantly. He scratched the side of his clean-shaven cheek. It's due to his family connections, you see. Velen? said Sylvan. That's not a name I know. Not yet. But you've been gone, said Sir Boris. You see, it's on account of his sister marrying the Duke of Crescia, and him being cousin to the Queen. Women, scarce as they are, and more and more in the last few years, you can imagine what a power play a family can have. Sylvan pursed his lips, considering the words. True, he'd seen it before, but rarely had it spawned such impertinence. Well, perhaps you're right, but as I've been away for a while, I suppose my courtly conduct is somewhat rusty. But then again, as a bastard, I don't imagine I'd ever been that privy to anything. Being as we are, we're largely excluded, aren't we? Deboris grunted sympathetically. Oh, of course, of course. And that's part of it. Velen's part of the new Harrods. New Harrods? I wasn't aware there were old Harrods. I'm afraid I've never been much good at government. A good hand with a gun, certainly, but that's about my limit. Deboris seemed embarrassed for Sylvan and continued on in straightforward tone. Harrods were pre-collision boundaries here on the continent, spreading far beyond Queensland and into Ardesia and Bullia. They were ruled by high-standing families, though consecrated marriages between the old church and the state. Old stuff. New Harrods are, well, let's say they don't approve of men like you and me aspiring to such high positions at court. They hold that high or low noble, they should be able to hold the highest ranks without question, while we languish as cannon fodder. Why, isn't that positively archaic, said Sylvan. A particularly haughty position for someone of a family I've never heard of. Perhaps, but as a dangerous notion, and it has caused significant stir. I, it would include as well all of the northern tribes and islanders, citing their impure contribution and lack of any documentation as far as titles are concerned. I doubt that would go over well on Fenley. The only reason we've swayed the Isles is by taking in their sons among our ranks in the first place. What in hell's is the matter with these new Herricks? Are they looking for an all-out war? Herods, corrected Deboris gently. And I think that might be the idea. Plenty of the no lesser nobles are squabbling as it is, worried that their sons won't make right matches. There have been sunderings and marriages, you know, unheard of. Shameful, I say. Sylvan frowned as they passed the archway into the sparring grounds. The retinue had moved from hand-to-hand -hand sparring to swords, the metal clanking drowning out a bit of his words but forcing his thoughts into clarity. The sounds of war always got his gears moving. Well, I'll be interested to hear the Queen's thoughts on the subject, Sylvan continued, but for now, we've an event. Even I'm curious to see what these girls look like. I hope you don't inspect them too closely, Deborah said. Sylvan liked the man already. Ah, no worries, no worries. I will be every bit a gentleman. 
Once he had done with spreading the news of the oak's arrival, and Boris went on his way, notwithstanding a few withering glances from Libby on the matter, Sylvan realized he was running late for his appointment with the Queen. With her day as it was, it was likely she was in a tizzy already. So he set out to see her, walking the long hallway that led to the Queen's receiving parlor. As he walked, he examined her collection of prints every now and again, pausing to remember the familiar pictures. He and Ellen used to romp through these very halls together, making up elaborate stories of knights and ladies in distress. There were no windows in this part of the castle, but the high, sharply-pitched ceiling still gave the hall a feeling of airiness. Sylvan traced his hands against the silk-printed wallpaper, scrolling roses and vines in the Queen's favorite shade. Two eunuchs stood by the door, draped in yards of starched linen, and belted across their middle with red sashes. They parted for him as he approached. "'Good day, good sirs,' Sylvan said, dipping into an impressively nimble bow. "'I trust you are enjoying your morning thus far?' The eunuchs, of course, said nothing— but Sylvan wouldn't be Sylvan if he hadn't tried at least to get a smirk out of them. Very well, he continued. I have business with the Queen. I bid you a fond adieu. With a mighty heave, one of the eunuchs, his eyes were blue, Sylvan thought, but he couldn't be certain, opened the iron-clad door by pulling a tall lever to his side. The crunching of gears ensued, and Sylvan had to suppress a laugh. Melis did love her machines. Save the new mechanism at the door, the receiving room was very much the same as he had remembered it. Pained with glass and littered with indoor plants, the room was more garden than function. Sylvan recalled someone saying that she'd kept close to two hundred flower species in this room alone. Ardesian silk draped the windows, and elaborately woven carpets led the way from door to chairs. Between two drooping palms sat the queen, fanning herself whilst reading. She was wearing a yellow silk scarf in lieu of her wig, he noted, but still looked remarkably good for her age. Slight and trim, she was a diminutive woman, but lively too. Her dark eyes darted to him immediately, glancing over her specks. Sylvan, she said, smiling. Her lips had been lined blood-red, and they lengthened over her very straight, yet very yellow teeth. Though she was slight, her face always had been round, and with it age had begun to droop around the jowls and throat. Her complexion, always even, was powdered with enough talcum to look ghostly. Welcome home. Auntie, Sylvan said, approaching her. She held out her hand, encrusted with an array of gemstones, and he kissed it. "'Please, please, do sit down,' she said, gesturing to the vacant seat to her right. Someone had put out breakfast, he noted, feeling his stomach rumble. He hadn't had anything to eat in spite of his rather trying night. "'Did you find the room comfortable?' "'As always,' Sylvan replied, sitting down as instructed. "'May I?' he asked. Melis nodded. "'Yes, please do. I'd love a cup of tea myself.' She replied, putting down her book. She put down the small volume and watched her nephew over her specs. "'You look well.' "'Thank you, Majesty,' Sylvan replied. He caught movement out of the corner of his eye and looked up, for a split second, to the upper palisade, just as he thought. Sharpshooters. Melis was an intelligent woman and a loyal one, even to her bastard nephew, but she was not trusting, and from what he could see the sharpshooters were not even roses as they had once been, but trained eunuchs. I had that tongues cut out, Melis said, as Sylvan offered her a cup of tea. She was always so casual, whether she spoke of torture or the weather, as if it were a mere trifling fact. You see, I had trouble with some of the roses. Sir Elfrin's tongue waggled a bit too much, and I found one of my most private conversations turned public. So in order to avoid that kind of distress again, I decided to take matters into my own hands. Breaking with tradition, admittedly, what precautions must be made, you see? Certainly, said Sylvan putting three cubes of sugar into his tea and stirring it with one of the rose-shaped teaspoons the queen always had on hand. "'I trust you're well, then?' "'Hail as ever,' she replied, 
puffing up her chest a bit, then laughing, though still getting on in years. Sylvan, dear Sylvan, you look so like your father. She always said that. There was no denying whose son Sylvan was. Everyone in court had always marveled at his similarities to Lord Lucas. But he would always be simple Sylvan de Loire, the son of a woman named Loire Leanne, who had borne him and died and left him only her name. Sir de Loire, indeed. He might as well just been called Sir Bastard. In fact, Sylvan recalled being called that more than once. "'Thank you, Majesty,' Sylvan replied, taking a moment to sip his tea. "'It is good to be back at White Hart.' "'Alas,' Melis said, closing her coal-rimmed eyes and sighing dramatically. "'Flair for the dramatic was not solely speaking, just Sylvan's trait. "'Things have not been as planned, I'm afraid,' she said, her voice low. "'Sylvan swallowed some more tea and looked concerned. "'Really, he was thinking about himself and about Malvin. "'As far as he knew, that had gone as planned.' But there was the whole mess with the oak to consider as well. Your cousin, Eleonora, Melis said, putting her cheek to her palm. She is very troubled. Ah, so she was taught talk about Ellen. Though this was no means his preferred subject of conversation, it was a little less worrisome than the Malvin matter, though equally as disturbing. Forgive my impertinence, Majesty, Sylvan said, keeping his voice low and cool as possible. "'But I believe this is a subject I was instructed to let lie quite some time ago, "'and with all due respect, she's got... "'Well, I'm afraid she's got herself into a bit of trouble,' Malus interrupted. "'How's that?' Malus's prim countenance faltered a moment as a frown made her features sag. "'You recall she was married?' "'Yes,' said Sylvan, swallowing the rest of, the rest of his sentence. "'To that rat-faced cur, Richard Valentin. "'I recall.' "'It is my fault entirely,' she said. "'I pressured her to marry Richard on account of his lineage, "'and was blind to the fact that they were so mismatched. "'I have my servants watch them and report to me. "'And it appears that Richard has taken to... "'She swallowed, then took a deep breath. "'There were bruises on her arm, Sylvan, and on her face. "'Sylvan's vision swam for a moment "'as he tried to rein in the fury that was rising in him. Hatred had been easy when it came to Richard, but now it was almost unbearable. That was the beginning of what did her mother in, Malus continued. You remember your Aunt Kay, don't you? I dare say she's not a figure I could easily forget, Sylvan said, trying his best to keep calm. Lady Kay had thrown herself out of the North Tower one midsummer afternoon. He'd been in the stable yard tending to the horses when he'd heard a clatter. He thought one of the horses had broken down their stall— but when he went out to see, he had found what remained of Lady Kay, impaled on a bit of the stable's fence. Lady Kay was mad, Malus said, her voice dropping to a hoarse whisper. Completely mad. She refused help and intervention and ended her life gruesomely. I feared Ellen might have inherited such traits, but kept it far from my mind. Until a few months ago, she was quite well, if not a little difficult at times. I am concerned that with the added stress of Richard in her life, she will spiral out of control. She did not wait for Sylvan to reply, and instead stood up, shuffling her long skirts behind her. Sylvan watched her pace, wearing a mask of sympathy on his face. A few months ago, she was observed in her room, speaking to walls, Malus said with some difficulty. It has progressively gotten worse. She speaks to animals, to plants... "'to fireplaces. Sylvan, Sylvan. "'Dear Sylvan, this cannot go on. "'Have you called the physic?' he asked, "'recalling the sallow-faced doctor he'd seen on occasion. "'I hear there's quite a recent trend among some of your engineers "'who believe you can shock the sense into a person with various 
What do you call them? Essences. Charged matter. Magnets, yes, but she has refused all attempts, Mela said stiffly. She pressed her lips together tightly and clasped her hands across her chest. I fear the damage may be done, but there is another way. To see if, perhaps with certain aggressors out of her life, she will return to her brilliant self again. I can find her another husband. That will be easy. But laws the way they are. Sylvan suddenly wished the conversation had been about Melvin. Then he would be less personally involved. Majesty, what are you proposing, he asked, the question lingering in the air. Melis went to her chair and picked up the small book she'd been reading. It was a romance story, one of the popular tales of the continent. She skimmed a page a moment and then put her finger on a particular passage and turned the book to face Sylvan. Apparently she wasn't even risking her mute guards. The words read, It looked like an accident. He stared at her, and for a moment he feared the chair he'd sat in had been pulled out from underneath him. There was no mistaking the look in her eyes, even if he wished with all his heart that he had read the words incorrectly. The queen's eyes were hazel, but nearby plants cast shadows of green and black in them. "'I must have an heir,' she said, "'a fit heir, and Richard will not be the one to give her to me.' "'Yes, Majesty,' Sylvan said, the words sticking in his throat. "'You have a week, dear,' she said, assuming her seat again. She held out her hand, an invitation to kiss it and, by extension, to depart. Sylvan did as he was bade, and, composing himself as well as he could, turned to leave. "'Oh, and Sylvan,' she said, her voice quiet and low. "'How did you do it, anyway?' "'Do what, Majesty?' She tilted her head to the side and let out a long sigh, as if she was greatly disappointed in him. "'Why, how did you kill Malvin? The examiners couldn't determine the cause of death.' "'I imagine I was very lucky,' Sylvan replied. "'I think he may have had a bad heart.' "'Irony, that,' the Queen said, and went back to her reading. He took another step, and she said, "'And welcome home.' You have been listening to Alderpod, written and produced by Natanya Barron. Thanks so much for tuning in. Remember, you can always join in the conversation online at aldersgatecycle.com or aldersgatecycle.wordpress.com. Thanks again. Thanks again.